In Psalm 139 we read, O Lord, you have searched me, you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my coming and my going and my lying down. You are familiar with all of our ways. So while this passage of scripture testifies to God's presence in our lives and his care, which is good, there is a problem for us because he knows all of our ways, all of our thoughts, all of our doings. Sometimes we're not very good. Sometimes our thoughts are not very wholesome. Sometimes the things that we do are not very constructive. And so we cannot hide from God. He sees it all, the good and the ugly. So let's take a moment as we come before the Lord to confess our sins. Have mercy on me, O God. In your faithful love and your great tenderness, wipe away my offenses. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I am well aware of my offenses. My sin is constantly in mine. Against you, O Lord, you have I sinned. I have done what you see to be wrong. Forgive me. Remember, Lord, I was born guilty, a sinner from the moment of conception. But you delight in sincerity of heart, and in secret you teach me wisdom. God created me a clean heart. Renew within me a resolute spirit. Do not thrust me away from your presence. Do not take me away from your spirit of holiness. Give me back the joy of salvation. Sustain in me a generous spirit. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will speak your praise. Thank you, Lord, for hearing me. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 139 continues with these verses as well. Verses 7 to 10, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And verses 13 to 18 also says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is the assurance that we have that God is with us, always. And when we sin, he forgives, and he continues to lead us and to guide us. So let's now sing and sing, and can it be.
This time the children, just ages three, today are dismissed for uh, Sunday school. And so while they are leaving, we can um, look up our passage for scripture this morning. It's from Exodus uh, chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the verses 1 to 15. God's word open before us, let us come to him. Our Father in heaven, we come this morning now with your word open before us, Lord, waiting to hear your words, waiting to hear what it is that we need to do. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would bless us this morning as we listen, learn, and then later as we leave and go out to implement, Lord, what it is that you have taught us. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 16, so the Israelites have been uh, out of Egypt for about a month or so and um, they were just given waters in the, in the oasis of uh, Elam and Meribah and God has now set out in front of them again, the cloud is lit up and away they go to the next place God has for them to go. So the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But he have brought us out into this desert to starve his entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gathered on the other's days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That evening quail came and covered the camp, in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? 
for they did not know what it was. So if you are delusional, then you have a problem sorting out reality and the past. People who are delusional get stuck in a certain idea or belief and have a hard time changing that mind. Delusional people get stuck in a pattern that is contrary to accepted reality or rational arguments. Their decisions are based on misconceptions, misinformation, misunderstandings. Basically, they don't know what's going on. As a result, delusional people can be hard to deal with. They're not always pleasant to deal with as well. They grumble and complain because life is not going as they expected. They have unrealistic expectations. Causes for delusion are stress, medication side effects, drug and alcohol abuse, and being in situations beyond their control. Cures for delusion are changing medications, of course avoiding drug and alcohol abuse, and communicating your thoughts and feelings to a professional and seeking support from family and friends. Well, in this passage this morning that we've just read in Exodus, we see the Israelites are acting delusional. We see God's cure for their delusional behavior, and we will hear that God's cure for them is still the same cure for us in our occasional delusional behavior. In this passage this morning, we read about a lot of grumbling and groaning. So what is the difference between grumbling and groaning? Well, one connects us with God, and the other one disconnects us from God. Groaning is what we do is when we suffer. We come to the Lord with our prayers and our thoughts and our worries, and we talk to him. We respect his sovereign control over our lives, and we know God has a plan for us, and we're in it somewhere along that way. We're looking for God's help, for God's comfort, and God's compassion. Grumbling, on the other hand, is what we do when circumstances just don't meet our expectations. We go behind God's back and we complain and we talk to anybody and any, anybody that will listen to us. We say so and so and this and that and things aren't going as they should. So we go behind God's back and we complain. Groaning is God-centered. Grumbling is self-centered. In the Bible, groaning is allowed. Grumbling, not so much. So the Israelites have been out of Egypt for about a month. They were in that desert, they were in the oasis of Elam, where there was shade and there was water from the desert sun. It was a good place to be. But now God has called them out into the desert and they're on their way. Deserts are hot, dry, barren places. There's not much life in the desert. There's not much food, there's not much water, and there's not much shade. And the people are under stress. The food and water is running out, they can only carry so much with them, and they're in the desert. They're in a situation that now seems to be out of, beyond their control. They left Egypt with the impression that God was going to be taking care of them. He was going to supply them with all their needs. They were going to this land of milk and honey. They were leaving behind slavery and they were seeking freedom. They were going to be starting new lives, free from the Egyptians. God was going to be there to care and protect over them. However, they are in the desert. It's hot, it's hungry, and they're thirsty. So they start grumbling to Moses and Aaron. I suppose we really can't blame them. 
It's hot, it's dry, and it's thirsty. Wouldn't you complain and grumble if you didn't have enough water to eat, or water to drink, or food to eat? And so they complain about their current situation, and they whine to Moses and Aaron that it would have been better if they had stayed in Egypt. Egypt seems to be a better place. Compared to their current situation, Egypt would have been a better place to be. But they have forgotten a few things. They have forgotten about how hard and exhausting their work was to making bricks. They had to gather the straw and mix the mud and all that work was exhausting and it was hard work. And they were getting beaten because they weren't working fast enough. The slave masters were whipping them and said, faster, more, more, quick, go, go, go. And the food, well, sure they may have had food, but they were probably too tired to eat it. Didn't have time to actually taste and enjoy their food. And what about all the babies that were thrown into the Nile River when they were born? The Egyptians were worried that the Israelites were just getting too many people. There was too many of them, and they started taking the boys that were born away from the mothers, killing them, throwing them into the Nile River. They've forgotten about all these bad things. But right now, they're in the desert, and the current situation is the desert's not a good place to be. In Egypt, they still live. They were still alive. And so the Israelites are now complaining and they want to exchange their freedom for slavery. They think they are going to die in the desert. God has led them into the desert to kill them all off. So the complaining isn't so much that they don't have enough food and water. It's that if they're going to die, they would have been better off to die in Egypt. Why bother going on this desert expedition? So the Israelites then have become very delusional about what was happening to them. They misinterpreted the meaning of the things God had done for them. They didn't understand what all those plagues God had caused on the Egyptians meant. When God opened the Red Sea and they walked through, and then when the Egyptians came through and they all drowned and died, why would God bother doing all these things? If God was going to bring them out into the desert to starve them, seriously, why would God bother doing all these great miracles before them? Why would he bother bringing them out if he's going to kill them anyway? It just doesn't make sense, of course. We standing in 2019, looking back, we see that. What, when you're in a situation beyond your control, you just don't know what's going on. But they didn't see the whole picture. They didn't know what the future would bring, and it terrified them. The promised land was somewhere out there in the distance. They didn't know where it was. They didn't know how to get there. They had yet to learn the truth of God, that God would provide for his people, that he would look after them, that all they had to do was trust in God for their needs. And so they grumbled and they complained. Several times in the passage it says, grumbling and complaining. And God hears it all. God knows how they feel. So God tells Moses that he's heard the grumbling of the people. He is not going to answer their request to return to Egypt, but he is going to provide for his people. God talks to Moses and in verse 4 he says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And he gives Moses and Aaron the instructions on how to gather this bread. That everyone will have just the right amount, regardless of their circumstances. So Moses and Aaron then talk to the Israelites, and they give them God's response to their grumbling. They start by explaining that they're not just grumbling against you and me, Moses and Aaron, that they're actually grumbling against God. We were just leaders. Moses and Aaron were only doing what God had asked them to do. They had no powers. They couldn't supply food and water at the flick of a finger. Only God could do that. 
And as they're telling the people this, and they've gathered together, and they look out towards the desert, they see the glory of the Lord shining in the cloud. A beautiful and amazing sight. We really don't know what that looks like, because we've never really seen that description of God's glory in a cloud like that. Dazzling lights and bright. And so when God is doing this, and his glory is appearing in this cloud, it's like he's giving his scared and frightened people a big hug. And he's saying to them, here I am, I'm over here. I'm going out before you into the desert. I'm showing you the pathway to the promised land, and I will bring you safely there. I will provide and take care of you. Put your trust in me. I am the one who is in charge. Leave behind whatever you might have had in Egypt. Leave behind all the different things that you think were better. And so God is giving the Israelites now this true idea of what is going to happen. He's changing their delusional minds and showing them, and he gives them hope. So then God gives this gift of manna to the people. This manna then meets the needs of the people. And the manna not only sustains them in the, in the lives of the Israelites in the desert, it shows the people the power of God's presence. God is with them. And the people ask on that first morning, what is it, this manna? And actually the word manna means, what is it? And so God's answer to this, what is it, is the bread of heaven the Lord has given you to eat. God's sustaining power for his people. Even today, we really don't know what, was, what this manna was like. Farther on in chapter 16, verse 31, it says, It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Whatever it is, it must have been good stuff. It must have been packed with all kinds of nutrients, vitamins, minerals, and more because they lived on this for 40 years. Nobody got scurvy in the desert and lost their teeth because of lack of vitamin C. Nobody got sick or diseased from lack of nutrients. In this passage, the people also got some quail, but the quail was not given every day. So God's gift of bread, a rather ordinary thing, reminds the people that God doesn't just do with the big, wow experiences of life, like walking through the Red Sea. He also appears in the everyday things of life, everyday occurrences of life, providing us with bread. When you come to think of logistics, of providing that much food for that many people, it's no easy task. If you've ever done any catering, trying to feed 200 people takes a lot of work. You need people to help and cook and go and get the groceries and put it all together and set the tables, bring the food out to the people. There's a lot involved. In Exodus 12:37, it says that there were about 600,000 men on foot, plus the women and the children as the Israelites left Egypt. Many scholars estimate two million people or more, plus all the animals yet too. Anyway, you cut it, two million people, that's a lot of people to feed every day. And it was for 40 years when it was all said and done. So this miracle of manna was no simple feat. For example, one bushel of flour will make approximately 42 loaves of bread, one and a half pound loaves of bread. So if you get two million people, you need about a loaf per day per person. And that requires about 47,619 bushels of flour per day. Approximately 1,287 tons. Or 25 tractor trailloads of flour driving through the desert to be delivered. Well, they didn't have tractor trailers. They had camels. 
So for carrying large amounts of food, camels could carry about 450 kilos. So you needed about 3,000 camels per day wandering through the desert trying to find the people to get them flour to make their bread. But then you back the stage up a couple more steps and somebody had to grind that flour to begin with. Somebody had to put the flour into the bags to load the camels and then lead the camels out to the people. And then you need a scout to find the people. And then you got to bring the camels back and bring more food for the next day. While the Israelites were off in the desert for more than one day away. So you got waves and waves of caravans of camels coming and going, bringing food to all these people. And then, of course, where did the wheat come from? How many bins were there in storage to store that much wheat? How many acres did it take to grow that much wheat to put it in the storage to feed these people for 40 years? I think you're starting to get the picture, I hope. It's an enormous task to feed two million people. It takes a lot of work. A lot of people need to be involved. But for God, it's no problem. He speaks, and it happens. Six days a week, and for 40 years, you know, we read that God provided manna for his people, and we just keep on reading. And we say, oh, that was good of God, wasn't it? He fed his people for 40 years. We don't realize how big of a deal that is, how much effort would have taken us humans to do something like that. Jesus knew it was a big deal, because it was in God that was providing. In Matthew 6, verse 11, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread means so much more than just something to eat. It includes that whole process of getting that food onto the table. It includes having a job, income to earn to buy the bread. Having an education so you can get a good job to buy the bread. And then you need a house to live in, a place to keep the bread dry and, and warm. Tables and chairs to sit on so you can actually eat it in comfort and have fun and friends with family. It also means that we need to be able to provide for those who may not be able to get their own food. And so we need to be care, take care of others as well. As 2019 soon draws to a close, did you get your daily bread? Did you even ask for it every day? Did you give thanks when you got it? Or were you more worried about than just your daily bread? When your plans didn't go the way you wanted, did you grumble and complain this year? Well, I know I did sometimes. I grumbled, I complained, and I imagine you did too. See, I own and operate a landscape business. This spring was very wet. We couldn't do anything. How do you spread mud? How do you smooth out mud to lay grass or sticks or, brock or blocks? It didn't go very so well. And so jobs we had sold for May didn't get done till June. So which meant June's jobs didn't get done till July. And the phone kept ringing and the list kept getting longer. And then we couldn't hire enough labor because there's a labor shortage in this whole area. And then I had surgery on my leg and I was off for a few weeks recuperating. All these things happened. Those who are farmers, you had a wet spring, couldn't get crops in the ground on time. Plans had to be changed from corn to soybeans to whatever you could grow to make some money. And then this fall, it was wet again. Summer wasn't so warm, crops didn't mature in time. A lot of corn got taken off at a high moisture this year. A lot of costs involved. So how did you all react? Well, I should say I didn't complain all the time. I did spend time in prayer, so to speak, groaning to God. 
God answered those prayers. Most of the jobs got done, my legs got healed, bills got paid, my family ate every day. It was stressful, but with God's help, we were sustained. I received my daily bread and was grateful for it. But God providing manna, bread, for his people was more than just giving them something to eat every day. God is not some magic genie that we rub on some special lamp and he appears and poof, you have three wishes, what do you want? The prosperity gospel is not God's plan at all. There are many who preach that once you are a Christian, God will provide for all your needs. There will not be any more hardships in life. There will be blessings multiplied on blessings. And if there are hardships in your life, well, it's because it's your own fault. You don't believe enough. This is very delusional thinking. John, John uh, 6, we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. The Jews got really excited. Many of them believed that Jesus, when, this, when the Messiah would come, the Messiah would institute giving up manna again every day for the people. people. The Messiah would reinstate Israel as a separate country. They would break away from the Roman rule and there would be a king on the throne better than David ever was. So after this miracle of the feeding of the people, and Jesus knows what the crowd is thinking, and he continues with his teaching and he says in Matthew 6, 32 and 33, I tell you, the Lord, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In 35 he says, I am the bread of life. And in verse 57 he says, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on, the, on this bread will live forever. Jesus sets the record straight. He changes the misconception of who he is. He gives us the right interpretation of the scriptures. He makes our unrealistic expectations and gives us something better. Because we are all stuck in our lives of sin and death. There is no escape. We are in a situation beyond our control. The Jews and us today needed to know that Jesus provides more than just bread to eat. Jesus provides eternal life. We have just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus. Jesus came down to earth in a human form. He lived as a human life and he lived that life perfectly. He endured the same temptations we do. He suffered as we do. He got tired, he had to sleep, he had to eat daily just to stay alive. And he prayed to God constantly for help and guidance. And he was Jesus, the son of God. He was God himself. He still prayed to God daily for guidance in his life. Jesus is able to bring us back into that presence of God and to live for eternity with God in heaven. So when Jesus says he is the bread of life, he provides a way for us to be sustained in the presence of God. If you believe and ask for forgiveness and repent, then there will be room for you in the heaven to live forever in the presence of God. We will be in his glory forever. We can feed on Jesus daily by reading his word, the Bible. And when we read the Bible daily and meditate on it in time and prayer, it will help us to live the life that God has planned for us. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God had plans for the Israelites when they left Egypt. When he took them to the desert, he sustained them and gave them what they needed. They had to learn to rely on God. They grumbled and they groaned against Moses, but it was ultimately God that they were grumbling about. God showed them his glory, and then he provided them with manna. He answered their question of, what is it? What are we doing here? He answered them with bread. The Lord has given you to eat. This bread then sustained the people, and they relied on God for their needs. This was all part of God's plan to bring Jesus into the world. Jesus is the glory of heaven. Jesus is the true bread of life. Jesus would give all who partake in him eternal life. So, people of God, are you providing, are you partaking in Jesus, the glory of God, the bread of life? Are you letting him provide eternal life for you? Are you doing what he has planned for you? Are you daily seeking him for guidance? At the end of the year, we always like to look back on life, what has happened in the past year, and this year it's the end of a decade. And as we look forward to 2020, remember that God's fingerprints are all over your lives. Remember how he saved you after you screwed up, awakened you to the ugliness of sin in your life, how he's healed you, comforted you when you were suffering, answered your prayers. The gospel became alive in you. Remember, God loves you, knows you, and he keeps you. Run to God instead of grumbling and complaining. Tell him your needs and your sufferings. Praise and glorify God that he sustains you with the bread of heaven, because Jesus Christ is the bread of heaven. Amen. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we give thanks to you. We give thanks, Lord, for your gift of grace, your gift of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, he's come to us, and he's shown us the way back to heaven, back to you. We pray, Lord, that... uh, as you give us that desire to do that. Lord, give us that desire to follow you. Bring us back into your presence, Lord, and we look forward to that day when our life here as earth is over and we get to bask in your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.